Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Okay, y'all. Seriously, the the cisnets and the cats back to back. I feel like Ty should be up in here somewhere. And unfortunately, she's not. So we couldn't do our, our tag team the way the cisnets and the cats did it. Uh, happy birthday, Lanisha. Shout out to uh, to Nehemiah and Elia. Love uh Love those families. Such a blessing to be around and such a blessing to our church. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, this is certainly the day the Lord has made. We ought to rejoice and be glad. It is Psalm 100 verse 2 that says, Worship the Lord with gladness and come before him with singing. Certainly, we love to worship Jesus. And we, we really worship Jesus a couple of ways here at Epiphany Church. Number one, we worship Jesus through singing. Shout out to Chris and the worship team for leading us so well today. And really throughout this whole pandemic, we were able to bring worship to you. And that's a testament to the leadership of our worship team. Thank you uh, to Josh and to Rob and to Chris. Uh, If y'all could just do me a favor in the comments section, just shout out the worship team because every week, y'all don't know how much it takes for them to get in here and have rehearsals and get in here and record uh, worship for you to be able to worship at home. So if you could just shout them out in the chat room and give them some love. Also, the second thing I really want you to do is share this link with somebody. Let them know that we are live. We are about to get into the word of God. We are talking about the African presence and the word of God. So if you could text your friend, that one trifling friend that never would come to church with you, if you would just shoot them the link, let them know that we are live. Also share it on Facebook and let them know that we are live. We're about to get deep into the word of God. Grab your Bibles, grab your Bibles, grab your Bibles, grab your devices. Meet me in the book of Acts. Uh, It it should kind of plop open because last week we were in Acts chapter eight. Uh, We're gonna jump ahead a little bit and get into Acts chapter 13. Uh, So turn to the book of Acts. Uh, But while you're on your way to the book of Acts, I I do have a couple of announcements. In fact, if you'll bear with me that there's quite a few uh, things that I just need to just quickly cover and then we'll jump into the word, uh, the word of God. The the first thing I want to do is I want to use this as an opportunity to acknowledge and welcome all of our new covenant community members. Man, you won't believe this, but as a church during a pandemic, uh, it's easy for us to shut down membership, but I don't believe that uh, a pandemic should shut down believers from committing to a covenant with the local body. And so we set up online membership classes. If you see this collage that has popped up, you'll see all of these faces, all of these beautiful faces that uh, are now officially members of our church. This is, since the inception of our church, this is the first time we've set up an online membership class. They've had to go through three classes and uh, it's been good to be able to interact with this, uh, this crew. You know, whenever, whenever anyone enters into a relationship with, with God through grace by faith and the person in the work of Jesus Christ, they're, they're always entering into two covenants, always. That the first covenant that they're entering into is a relationship with God. They are vowing and committing that they will live their life for God for the rest of their life. None can pluck them out of my hand. There, there is no backseas when it comes to Christianity. But, but the second relationship they're entering into 
is a relationship with his body. That's why the Bible says that we were baptized into the body. A, a, a Christian that is isolated from the body is an oxymoron. It, does not, it doesn't even work. You're supposed to be committed to the body. And so shout out to our new covenant community class that even in the midst of a pandemic said, I'm going to connect with the body deeper than just jumping on a live stream, but I actually want uh, to be counted in the number. When you read Acts chapter two, the Bible says 3,000 souls were added to the church. In, in other words, they counted the number of people that were being added to the church. There was some type of a covenant that was made uh, that these uh, the, these elders at the new the, these new churches knew exactly who were a part who was a part of the church. So I'm excited to pastor this new group of members. If you'll do me a favor, if they were here. We would do the right hand of fellowship, uh, but they're not here and you're not here. Uh, but one of the other things we would do is I'd turn them around and I'd say, if you'd do me a favor, if you'd greet all of our new members with the only greeting suitable for a believer to a believer, and that is grace and peace. If you'll do me a favor, all of you who have named the name of Jesus Christ, just type into the chat room, grace and peace, as a welcome to all of our first, uh, of, our, of our new members. Just type that in, grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. Put that in YouTube and put that on Facebook. All right, it's time to get into the word of God. Let me, let me jump into one more, uh, actually two more quick announcements. First is our prayer team led under the leadership of Lady Io uh, really is pushing us. And Gabe just announced this. Gabe and Keisha, so animated, just announced uh, that we are going into a week of, of praying. It, we're actually calling it peace in the mist. In other words, in the midst of all the chaos, we're going to spend a week just praying. But, but, but it, we're doing it so unique. You don't have to leave your house. It, it, is, it is all virtual. In fact, Monday is going to be a conference call. You'll see that number in uh, on the app. You'll also see it on the website. Uh, you'll get some social media notifications about it. So there'll be a prayer call on Monday evening. On Tuesday, there is a testimonial and prayer service that is going to be led by none other than prophetess Valerie Lilly. Uh, that'll be on social media live on Facebook and Instagram. And then Wednesday, we're doing Worship Wednesday. Worship Wednesday basically mean after Testimonial Tuesday, Worship Wednesday means that one of our worship leaders is actually going to lead us on, uh, on Instagram Live and on Facebook Live. They're going to lead us in a worship uh, service or a worship set. And then Thursday, I'm going to be talking, I'm going to take over the social media lives and I'm going to be talking through uh, what it means to pray and talk through racial tension. We got a little taste of that last week and shout out to the panel on Wednesday led by Ty that did such an amazing job talking about uh, race and trauma and healing. I'm just going to pick up a little bit of that conversation on Thursday and kind of get into the word of God a little bit and do some praying so that we can start to see what real racial unity looks like specifically in the church. Because I believe that the culture and society will get it when the church gets it. Unfortunately, we've been disconnected and we'll talk a little bit about that in the text. And then Friday, finally Friday, Dave uh, will be, our brother Dave will be teaching on the importance of prayer and fasting. So listen, this week is a full week and I heard Beloved is doing something on, on Saturday. So literally Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we are going to be doing something. So uh, you certainly should figure out where you fit in and, and jump in and spend some time hanging out with your brothers and sisters. 
Finally, last announcement is our four Brooklyn. Uh, I think Gabe and Keisha announced this so well with so much excitement that this Sunday coming up, August 2nd, don't miss this, August 2nd, we will not be doing this virtual gathering. We're actually going to physically gather, but I have to pastor you for a second. I have have some disclaimers I need to give you. Number one, we are gathering responsibly. There's three things you should know. Number one, we are outside. We will not be meeting in the building. We'll be at Restoration Plaza right in front of the Black Lives Matter. You got to go to the courtyard at Restoration uh, Plaza and you'll see uh, a tent set up. And underneath that tent is where we'll be. There are no walls. And so we're outside. So we're trying to be as responsible as possible. Second thing you should know is you got to bring your mask. You got to bring your mask. Like I, I, we're, we're going to enforce it just because we have a responsibility to care for those that are around us. The, the Bible tells us to love our brothers and sisters. And so therefore, one of the best ways you can do that is by bringing your mask. And then thirdly, we're going to practice social distancing from the way the chairs are set up. Uh, there is no hugging. Unfortunately, we're going to have to just make sure that we are all kind of separate. And uh, as, uh, as Ty says, throw up the Wakanda hugs. And so listen, next week, you, you really want to invite your friends. Like, this is that event. Like, it's going to be lit. The worship team is going to be there. Um, we have a special guest, Tasha Page Lockhart will be there. I told you we had a surprise for you. Tasha Page Lockhart, gospel singer, will uh, be there and she'll be leading us as well. And so it's going to be a great time. I'm going to be opening up the word of God because y'all know we ain't gathering without getting into the word of God. So I'm going to spend a couple of minutes in the word of God. All right, let's get to the, the word of God today. Acts 13. That was a lot I had to get out. We are in a sermon series called Widen the Lens. We've basically been looking at the African presence, the the often overlooked African presence in the scriptures. And so today we're going to do that again. We started our first week. We were in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 9, 2 Chronicles chapter 9, talking about the Queen of Sheba. And we were talking about how, how vast her wealth was and her knowledge and her ability to be teachable. And last week we looked at the Ethiopian eunuch and we saw how teachable he was and how he was converted to follow Jesus. This week, there is no difference. We are looking at the African presence again. You should be in Acts chapter 13. Just jump right in with me. Verse number one. I hope y'all are tracking with me again. I got my... I got my, 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 my phone here, so I am checking y'all out. I am seeing you. I see you, Brittany. I see Danielle in here. Sherry, what's up? All right, I see y'all. Let's, let's, uh, let's try to work through this passage together. All right, verse one. It says, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, uh, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Please make note of verse number two. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work in which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I want to preach today from the simple topic, Africans shaping the early church. Let me say that again. Africans shaping the early church. Won't you look to the Lord with me before we, uh, before we dig in? Uh, Lord, we approach your word with humility yet hunger. 
So Father, that hunger, would you satisfy our appetite with your word today? Father, would you show us Jesus? Would you help us to see how Jesus is central to the church and how Jesus is central to this passage? Lord, as we've been looking at the African presence in the scriptures, we we do not do so at the expense of any other ethnicity. We were just highlighting how you used and created Africans in order to spread the gospel. And so, Father, we want to celebrate your creative genius in making all of us today. So, Father, would you help us to be faithful to the text, help us to dig in, help us to remove distractions. I know we home, Lord, so some people still in the bed, ain't brushed their teeth. Some people is at the... Uh, at the kitchen table with their waffles and their bagels and they got their Bible out and some people on the train, some people in the street, but wherever people are, Father, would you meet us today for your glory and remove the distraction? It's in Christ's name we pray and give glory. Let everybody say amen in the chat room. Say amen. Africans shaping the early church. Earlier this week, I was looking at a report. It It was actually a report slash a census and it was on the top uh, Fortune 500 companies and their boards, their management teams, the boards that make up those companies. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, I was a little saddened by the census and saddened by the report when I looked at the ethnic diversity. Now, you got to understand something. There are companies that have admittedly said that from the top, the bottom might be diverse, but from the top, they're not really diverse. I think Levi's has tried to redirect some of that. Uh, General Motors clearly has been trying to redirect some of that and admitted their lack of diversity and their commitment in order to change that lack of diversity. But as it stands right now, when you look at Fortune 500 companies across the board, there is a lack of representation when it comes to ethnic diversity. And in fact, I'm going to just give you a little bit of a quote of what I found in the census. Black people only make made up 11% of the boards of Fortune 500 companies, while white people made up 81%. And most of the 81% were white males. I typically, typically can tell the direction that you are going when it comes into your company by looking at your leadership. When I look at your leadership and I look at the board, I I can typically tell where you are moving and how you are culturally relevant. You gotta understand something about a board. A board is typically responsible for the vision of the company. They're responsible for the direction of the company. They're responsible for how the money is spent and how the budgeting is happening. They're responsible for new initiatives. Your board speaks volumes to the company and where the company is going and so we arrive at a passage where in essence there is a board of the Antioch church in other words there are leaders in the Antioch church but what I love about God's genius is God makes sure that the Antioch church was represented with real diversity there's a couple things you should know about the Antioch church number one you, you should know that the Antioch church is where believers or disciples were first called Christians you, you don't see that anywhere else happening besides first happening in Antioch before that they were called followers of the way. Here's what the Bible says in Acts chapter 11. It says this in verse 26, for a whole year they met in the church and taught a great and many people and the Antioch church of the disciples were first called Christians. If you are a Christian, you got to trace that all the way back to the Antioch church. The second thing you should know about the Antioch church is that they were extremely gifted. 
the leaders of the church were gifted. If you looked at verse one, it said that there were prophets and teachers. Prophecy and teaching is both ways that God communicates with the local church. And these leaders both filled the vital roles of prophet and teacher. Prophet and teacher, God is speaking through the church. And many times we celebrate teaching, but we don't celebrate enough prophecy. We, we, we don't value prophecy within the early church and Let's be honest, it's because many of us are scared for prophecy to actually take place as though God can't strengthen the church through prophecy. As a church, you know, we, we, we don't just theologically believe that prophecy happens in the church. We pray toward that end. Every Tuesday, I jump in here. There is nobody in the church, nobody in the space. The, the space and I, I literally am walking and I'm praying and I'm asking the Holy Spirit to move when it comes to the spiritual gifts because I refuse to be charismatic theologically, but practically be a sensationalist, be someone who says the gifts of the Spirit don't happen here. No, no, that's an excuse not to let the charisma happen. When I look at the Antioch church, there's two things happening, prophecy and teaching. So, Christians were first called Christians at the Antioch church. These leaders were gifted leaders, but don't just notice that they're gifted leaders. What I want to spend our time with today is I want to look at the diversity of the leaders because it is in the diversity of the leaders that I think we should start to model ourselves after if you notice, verse one gave five names. Don't, don't, don't miss this. And verse number one of Acts 13, five names were given. Now, if you just read the names, you'll miss the beauty and the diversity because you'll assume that all of the leaders in the Antioch church were of the same ethnicity, but not so. Nothing could be further from the truth. They were extremely diverse. In fact, let me just go through the diversity of all five of them. The first name that is mentioned, don't you check out on me. Stay with me for a second. The first name is mentioned is Barnabas. Barnabas is known as a Levite from Cyprus. He, he, according to Acts chapter four, is of Jewish descent. Well, why am I I'm not, I'm, I'm not surprised that he is a Jew. I'm not surprised that God put a, a person that of Jewish descent on the leadership team of the Antioch church because if you go back to the Old Testament, Hebrews were the chosen people. So I'm not surprised that Barnabas got a seat at the table. But the second name shocked me. The second name that is given is Simeon called Niger. Niger literally means black. You got to understand something about this. Simeon, he is presumably a dark skin, possibly, very possibly an African man. In fact, most African scholars will say this is the same man that carried the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you remember that story that the Bible tells me that that Jesus was uh, uh, carrying the cross up the Via Della Rosa and the Bible says that he was experiencing physical exertion. So a Roman soldier asked the African man from Cyrene, from, which is current day Libya, to come and to actually help Jesus, which is so dope to me because when Jesus was at his most weakest moment, humanly speaking, when he was at his most weakest part moment, an African helped Jesus to carry up the cross up the hill. But I, I'll argue that it is not the African that simply helped Jesus, but Jesus helped the African to open his eyes to the beauty of the gospel message of Christ. And so many scholars will say that this person, Simeon, called Niger is actually from Cyrene. We're not 100% sure, but here is what we are sure about, that he's a dark-skinned man, very possibly from Africa. 
Okay, let's see. Let's keep going. There's a third name given in here. Watch this diversity. The third name is Lucius. Please don't confuse this with Lucius from Empire. This is not Lucius from Empire. This is Lucius from Cyrene. We can be 100%, 100 with the red 100 emoji. We can be 100% sure that Lucius from Cyrene was absolutely an African man because he is from what we would say is current day Libya. See, the last couple of weeks, we've been focusing on Ethiopia. Ethiopia is the northeastern part of the continent, but if you look at where Cyrene is, it's a little bit further west. It's at the tippy-tippy top right next to the Mediterranean Sea. Look at a map and look where Libya is, and that's where this African was from, and don't miss this. Two people that are mentioned already on the leadership team of the Antioch Church are African men, and I celebrate that. The, the, the fourth person that is mentioned is Menaean. Now, we, we don't know his ethnicity, but one of the things we do know about him is the Bible gives us a detail about his upbringing. It says he's a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. That this is the same Herod the Tetrarch that the Bible says beheaded John the Baptist. He beheaded John the Baptist because he got a lap dance. You can get at me later about that lap dance. He got a lap dance according to the scriptures. And the Bible says that he beheads John the Baptist because of the request of the young girl's mother. And this is the same Herod, but Menaean and Heron both grew up. And even though they grew up together, they both took two different directions when it came to life. Don't you miss this. This is important for us because this says to me, it doesn't matter who you grew up with. It doesn't matter what family you grew up with. It doesn't matter if they were dysfunctional. It doesn't matter if they didn't believe in Jesus. It didn't matter if they believed in a different God. God knows how to save you. Even in the midst of you being surrounded by people that go a different direction, God knows how to save you. How do I know? Because Manan gets saved and not only saved he becomes a leader within the early church lastly the person that is mentioned is a guy named Saul many of us know him as Paul this is Saul of Tarsus now he's 100% a Jew like, like in fact he's a proud Jew to where he even gives his own resume in Philippians chapter 3 and he says stuff like I'm a tribe of Benjamin I'm a Hebrew of Hebrew. In other words, Paul is like, Saul is like, I'm, a, I'm the cream of the crop when it comes to Jews and, and being a Jew. So Paul was a Jew. Just check this diversity. You have Barnabas, which is a Jew, a Levite from Cyprus. You have Simeon called Niger, which is a dark-skinned African man. You have Lucius from Cyrene, not uh, Lucius from Empire, but from Cyrene, which is a northern African man. You have Manan, which we don't know his ethnicity, but he is a friend of Herod the Tetrarch, a lifelong friend, and you have Saul of Tarsus, which is a highly respected Jew. This is why diversity matters. This is why a superiority when it comes to race is dysfunctional. This is why we have to stand shoulder to shoulder and the only hierarchy in our relationship should be Jesus. Other than that, we should be shoulder to shoulder, full equality, because when I look at the Antioch church, there was full equality. You don't see dysfunction in verse one. You don't see racial tension in verse one. You don't see any uh, 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 supremacy in verse number one there all equal and they all have one mission and that one mission is to make sure that Jesus Christ's word is being spread and churches are being planted if the Antioch church appeared on the census that I did earlier this week do you realize that 
at least 40% of their board would have been black men. 40% of their board would have been Africans. And this, in the early church, you got to understand something that diversity was a biblical norm. Diversity was very normal in the early church. In fact, it was one of the few places that you could go to see Africans and, and, and Jews and Greeks and Romans all together and all worshiping Jesus without dysfunction, with full continuity with Jesus as the head. The church was the only place that you can see that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we looked around at the corporate America boards of Fortune 500 companies and saw this type of diversity represented. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could look in the political world at the judicial, the legislative, and the executive branches of government and saw this type of diversity represented it? Wouldn't it be wonderful, wouldn't it be wonderful if we looked in the church and saw this type of diversity Representative where we had Asians and blacks and whites and Koreans and we all of us were all together and we were all serious about one common goal and that is Jesus Christ and we did not diminish our ethnicity. We still were proud of who we were because Psalm 139 says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am proud to be a black man, but I am a follower of Jesus Christ where we all came together and we celebrated the diversity of who we are are beyond just food but actually engaged in a different culture in order to make sure that the church was thriving unfortunately the church has often presented a false sense of unity and you know how I know we've 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 shown a false sense of unity because what we do is we expect that black people will assimilate easier into white culture and we have not challenged white culture to assimilate easier in the church when it comes to black culture. And I know it's true. This goes across the board. You, you know how I know it's true? Let me go back a little bit. To get my high school diploma, I had to assimilate into white culture. How, how did I have to do that? I had to learn European history. Or it was revisionist history. I had to learn about Christopher Columbus and the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. But my white brothers and sisters didn't have to learn about the Tulsa riots in 1920s. And they did not have to learn about Juneteenth. Many of them didn't know until they grew up because they didn't learn it in school. Even though I had to learn it in public school, we had to assimilate into a white culture because it became normal. Okay, forget high school, let's go to college. In order to get my college degree, I had to usually sit under white professors with white boards and learn when I got my degree, when I went to seminary, I had to read white theologians which often owned slaves in order to even get my degree, okay, let me go to the corporate world. To move up the corporate ladder, I typically had to operate and move in spaces that were predominantly all white. And so what happens is my white brothers and sisters can get their high school diploma, can get their college degree, can move up the corporate ladder and not engage one black person. No wonder we're confused. But you, you, you pull a black person in in order to get all of those things. I have to assimilate at some point with a majority culture. And what that pushes is that pushes this idea that any other uh, race and, and ethnicity has to assimilate into majority culture. But it's not true. When I look at, at, at the Antioch church, they didn't have to assimilate to be like the Jews. They didn't have to assimilate to be like the Africans. They could be who they were and function and be proud of who they were while they were continuing the church. The church must seek real unity. 
And real unity is not the absence of color. Real unity is not saying I'm colorblind. No, you're not colorblind. You see my color. I see your color. And we celebrate God's creative genius and making all of us unique and making all of us different. That is what diversity is. But hear me and hear me clearly. Diversity ain't easy. Oh, oh! Don't you don't you get it twisted? It's easier to look more diverse as a church. It is harder to actually operate like a diverse church. See, looking like a diverse church is almost like being on the train and you're sitting on that car, on the train car, and you look around and there's all these different ethnicities, but ain't nobody talking to each other. Everybody got their headphones in. It could be like that in church if we just come in here and we sing together and we take notes and we leave, but we don't engage with anybody else. When I look at the Antioch church, they thrived with racial diversity, but it's not easy. This, is, this should be the only place where we come and we work out differences and we challenge one another and we push on privilege and we push on uh, different issues. We look at videos and we push and we push and we call for repentance and we call for restoration and we call for unity, but that can only happen when we're willing to accept, to accept a little bit of messiness in order to get there. See, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta disrupt some comfort. But let me also point out that these Africans, these two Africans, which is uh, Lucius of Cyrene and Simon, who is called Niger, were willing to reach across ethnic lines in order to make sure that the mission was functioning. In other words, yes, they were proud to be Africans, but they weren't so proud to be Africans that they looked down on any other race. They did not look down on the Jews that was there. They did not look down on Menaean. And this is a word for what Michael Eric Dyson will call you newly woke black folk. Because what is happening, I'm starting to notice, and please let me pastor you here, but what I'm starting to notice within my heart, but I'm starting to notice even within conversation with some of those that are in our church, we are now waking up and starting to learn more and more about the gross injustice against black people. And if we're not careful, what will happen is you'll get so pro-black that you'll start to hate your brother and sister that doesn't look like you when it's not biblical. I'm going to just go on record and say it right now. If your black pride equals white hate, it's not biblical. It's not Christ-like. Yes, you should call out white privilege. Yes, you should be. And don't no, ain't few people are more proud to be black than me. I support black businesses. I promote black women. I want to make sure that black, the black agenda is being addressed because we've often been overlooked and we've been at the hand of oppression. And so, yes, I am calling for the injustice to stop. And yes, I am saying I'm a proud black man because God made me this way, but I will not allow hatred to come in my heart. And I get it, man. Yo, you watch enough of these Karen Gone Wild videos. Just watch enough of them and something will start to fester in your heart that I would say is anti-biblical. If your response to looking at videos is to hate any brother and sister, you are out of order. You are not in the Bible. I'm going to just put it on blast today because I, I, I think what is happening is many people are waking up and it's causing anger in our hearts. And if you let it fester, you're not operating as though the Antioch church was operating. The Antioch church was sitting, the Africans there did not look down on the Jews because they saw Karen Gall Wild videos. 
that. That's not what they did. They got together. And I praise God, man, for all of those that don't look like me, particularly white people that the Lord has put in my life. Listen, Holly on our worship team has been one of the greatest blessings in this season for my life. When I tell you, she's encouraged me in such ways. Jackson and Kendall having dinner with them is one of the greatest blessings of my life. When I talk to some of our deacons, particularly Gabe, or I talk to Jess, it is some of the most fruitful conversations. Don't you allow black pride to become white hate because that's not Bible and that's not what was happening in the Antioch church. These Africans reached across the aisle. They said, we got a bigger agenda. I can still be fully African, but I can still be fully Christian. And the two can actually mix together. So listen, if you think that surrounded around the throne of Jesus Christ will be all Africans, you're a fool. If you think surrounded around the throne of Christ, you'll be more superior than any other race, you're a fool. I'm gonna just put it out there. So Acts chapter 13 lets me know that unity is seeing different colors and seeing different cultures and seeing different ethnicities and celebrating who they are without asking them to be Christian is to be more Jew. That's not Bible. To be Christian is to be more African. That's not Bible. To be Christian is to be more American. That's not Bible. To be Christian is to be more Christ-like, period. Fat, big, period. That's it, is to be more Christ-like. And so the Bible here says that you have Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And the Bible says here that they were worshiping together and that they were fasting. The early church understood the importance of worship, which is why we gather next week at Restoration Plaza at one o'clock. Shameless plug once again. We're gathering because we want to worship Jesus. But the Bible also said that they are fasting, which is showing dependency on God. I love that the Antioch church was mature enough to understand that in order to hear from God, they had to worship and they had to fast. And while they are worshiping and while they are fasting, the Bible literally says, God said. God literally, the Holy Spirit literally started speaking in the midst of the worship service. Can you imagine that? Where we all sitting in service and we all we all worshiping Jesus and we saying holy is the lamb and we got hands up and tears are flowing and God audibly speaks to where we all hear him. That's exactly what happened in the Antioch church. Can we agree that this is what needs to happen in the church? We need to be led by the Holy Spirit. Yes, you might have a senior pastor. You might have a leader's pastor. You might have a deacon's board and trustees. But at the end of the day, what leads us is the Holy Spirit said when the holy spirit speaks don't you ever move before the holy spirit if we're not going to allow the holy spirit to speak in the church can we just make this something else can, can we just be can we stop being a church and be something like this building i'm in right now that this this building's an old curves workout building if we're not going to be the church can we just be a old curves workout but can we pull them treadmills back in I, i've been working out with a couple of brothers and we've been jogging we can stop all that we can just meet at the church and jump on some treadmills if we're not going to allow the holy spirit to speak the bible says that they were fasting and they were praying and the holy spirit said and when the holy spirit finally does speak he says something so important don't you miss it in verse number three actually to be part of verse number two i hope y'all tracking with me he says Set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to. And then he says, after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and they sent them off. Through the authority of the Holy Spirit, 
given the authority of the leaders in the church, the Bible says that three of the five leaders laid hands on Paul and on Barnabas and sent them off. When you read that, you'll miss how beautiful that actually is. Let me go deeper. You have two Africans and Manaean that lays hands on Paul and on Barnabas and sends them off. Let me, let me go a little deeper. If these two African men and Manaean don't lay hands on at least Paul, you don't get the rest of the New Testament. You want to talk about Africans shaping the early church? It was through the authority of two Africans that you get Paul sent out. You get Paul sent out. Now I got the book of Romans. Now I got first and second Corinthians. Now I got the church at Galatia. Now I got the church at Ephesus. Now I got the church at Philippi. Now I got the church at Colossia. Now I got first and second Thessalonians. I get first and second Timothy because Paul disciples Timothy. Paul was only able to disciple Timothy because two Africans laid hands on Paul. You have Titus is now in the Bible because of Paul. You get Philemon and possibly the book of Hebrews. 75% of the New Testament you get because two Africans and Manaean laid hands on Paul and sent him out. You got to understand how intricate Africa was in the early part of the church being birthed. You don't get the rest of the New Testament. We're going through the book of, of Romans right now. We actually had to take a pause because of uh, the pandemic, but we were going, we were up to chapter 10. And listen, we don't get the book of Romans if two Africans, possibly from Cyrene, don't put their hands on Paul and say, go out and do this work. Go out and do what God tells you to do. Notice that none of these men that laid hands on Paul were from Scottsdale, Arizona. None of them were from Texas. None of them were from New York. None of them were for, from Illinois or Indiana. None of them were from Florida. These men were Africans and Jews and they laid hands on Paul and you get the rest of the New Testament because two Africans became leaders in the Antioch church and laid hands on Paul. Listen, this is why I love the church. This is why I love the church. This is why your boy won't ever leave the church. The reason I won't leave the church is because the church is the pillar grounded truth. The church is the place that we get to see real unity. We get to see racial tension be dissolved. We get to see white privilege be challenged. We get to see racism be repented of. We get to see restoration. We get to see wholeness. wholeness. We get to see a picture of what Revelation 7, 9 will say, every tongue, tribe, and nation just all around the throne where Jesus is sitting on the throne and we all worshiping Jesus, but we get to see a picture of that in the local body. And this is why the church is so important, but it takes work. Like hear me, brothers and sisters, it takes work. It takes hard conversations. It takes repentance. That song, I'm not talking, I'm sorry, let me put up a post. No, nah, nah, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking Psalm 51, a broken and a contrite heart that God will not despise. It takes that level of repentance in order to move forward. Listen, we got a lot of issues in this country, a whole lot of issues. And a lot of it is because the church has not been unified. I'll go deeper. Some of the most racist moments I've had have been in predominantly white churches. I'll never forget this woman. I won't say the name of the church, but I'll never forget where I was preaching one time at a, at a large white church. And as soon as I came out, 
there was there was a, a, a older white woman that said to me, I ain't never heard a colored person preach the gospel. I'm like, wow. My, my wife is talking with another older white gentleman that says, why does your husband consider himself an African-American and not an American African? We got issues within the church and the church needs to be resolved. When I look at Antioch, I see real unity. I see, I see diversity. I see them not diminishing who they are in order to move the needle forward when it comes to the gospel. I want the church to be the church. And Africans were a part of the church. They, 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 they weren't a junior church. They were the leadership of the church. And so here's what I want to do, man. I, I want to end our time by simply praying for unity within the church. We got an election coming up. And listen, I don't talk politics here, but I'll say this. Politics have divided even the church. So here, here's what I want to do. I, I want to I pray. I think November is going to get real rough. I'm going to keep, keep it a buck with you. I think November, no matter which way this election goes, is going to get rough. The church got to unify. The church got to move towards repentance. That The church has to move towards seeking real restoration. And it, it, it can't happen with black people being looked down on. We have to listen to what black people are saying and experiencing so that we can get to racial unity. Some of the, some of the worst racism happens in the church. And I think it's... I think it's horrific because I don't see it in the book of Acts. You do me a favor. This is kind of, it's kind of hard to do it like this, but I really want to pray for the church because I believe in the church and I'm not talking Epiphany Church. I'm talking the universal church, all of God's believers, particularly here in the Western part of the world. I want to pray for us because it is through God's spirit that we are able to see Acts chapter 13, real unity from the top all the way down. Join me in prayer. I don't know where you are. Seriously, if you could do me a favor and just kind of close your eyes and, and, and use this moment, like seriously. Like I know we're looking at a live and it's kind of like weird, but like seriously, let's, let's close our eyes and really seek the Lord for what unity looks like. Father, I pray now for every church, particularly here in America, as we look at what's happening in Portland, Lord, we pray for the churches in Portland to show unity so that we can see what you, I mean, these churches have black people in them and police. How can we get that together? Father, may the church be the church. May, may, may we look like a representation of what the Antioch church looked like, where we see all different ethnicities coming together so that we can all make sure that the gospel is being presented, but not only a gospel that just gets us to heaven, but a gospel that attacks right now racism. Father, I pray for the church. I pray for leaders. Father, my heart's been broken when I look around. My heart's been broken when I look on social media. And, and, and I see white pastors that automatically assume that saying black lives matter means that you agree with the organization. I pray that that hearts will be softened to what we are actually saying because that ain't it. So Father, I pray, oh God, that you would help us as a church not to be reconciled because I, we, as America, we, we've, we, where are we going back to? What, what, what are we being reconciled back to, Father? I pray for a new restoration. Pray for a new thing. I, sometimes, Lord, I can be too optimistic, but I really believe in your church. 
I really believe that if we, if we get this Americanized Christianity out of here and we get to the core of what scripture says, I believe that we can look like the Antioch church. Father, would you bring restoration? Would you bring repentance? Would you push against racism? Would you push against white privilege? Would you push against black identity being trumped over my Christianity? Father, help us to kneel before you, all of us. So Father, I pray, oh God, that you would do a work. She would do something supernatural. Father, when I look at Acts, I see that you were able to speak in the midst of a worship service. So, Father, I believe that you can, wherever we are across this country, that you can bring unity. You can bring us together by your spirit. So, Father, would you do that? Would you help us to be focused on who Jesus is while at the same time fighting against the issues we see on earth? because we don't believe in a gospel that simply takes us to heaven. We believe in a gospel that takes us to heaven and impacts evil right now. And I would call racism evil. So Father, would you do that for your glory and for your honor? It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Man, thank you all for hanging out. Uh, We've been rocking through this Widen the Lens sermon series where we're looking at different uh, places where Africans' presence are in the scriptures. Listen, Africa was an intricate part of the early church. And don't you ever forget that. Once you receive this doxology, now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly we can ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church, in the church, in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. It's good hanging out with y'all. I will see y'all next week, Restoration Plaza, one o'clock. Bring your mask and bring your Bible. Grace and peace.